I want to start this episode by telling my story with burnout. Okay. When my kids were about 10, 8, and 6, I just hit a wall. I didn't know what was going on. I had all these strange, like, symptoms that made no sense. They didn't seem related at all. It was like I would have a fluttering heartbeat just out of nowhere. And then I felt so incredibly fatigued, like I was swimming through wet cement just to get through the day, like powering through my to-do list. And so I had to kind of go on my own quest. In parallel to this quest for my kids, I had to go on a quest for me to figure out how can I find a way to feel a little better in the middle of all this, because you can't quit your job parenting. I think there has been kind of some disbelief that burnout is an actual thing. And there are other terms for it, like adrenal fatigue and chronic fatigue syndrome. But because it's not really something that's easy to test for medically, it's a lot easier to just dismiss it and be like, oh, you know, why don't you take an antidepressant? Why don't you go get some more sleep? And I was frustrated because I couldn't get help that didn't feel like somebody just wanted to pop a pill on me and get rid of me. Um, so when I finally met this woman, Dr. Kathy, who's a functional medicine doctor, I was at my wit's end. And she said, tell me about your life. And I laid it all out again. I'd told the story a million times. <laughs> and she said, you know what? I think this is all stress-related. And then she pulled out some test results, and that's when I learned about cortisol. You might already know about cortisol. It's often called the stress hormone, and it performs all these important functions in your body, like managing blood sugar levels and tissue repair. She showed me a graph of what a normal cortisol pattern looks like. It's supposed to be a gently sloping line that starts higher in the morning and it tapers down at night. And then she held up my graph and it was a flat line running close to zero all day. The doctor said it meant my adrenals were burned out. That even if I needed to produce adrenaline to survive some calamity, like lift a car off my kid, I couldn't. And more tests proved it. I was clinically depleted. This is A Little Easier. I'm Kendra Wild. We're all made to handle some stress. When we're activated, our bodies produce a cascade of chemicals that help us survive the moment. But we're also designed to have intervals of recovery. All those systems need time to come back to baseline. Otherwise, your system gets flooded. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now I, I, I can be 100% uh, sure about that. I burn out myself as a parent. Okay, I don't have a Belgian accent, but I'll try. Dr. Moira Mikolajak. Mikolajak. Dr. Moira Mikolajak. Yeah, exactly. Is professor of emotion and health psychology at the University of Leuven in Belgium. She co-authored one of the foundational studies on parental burnout. And she got interested in the topic partly because of her own experiences. When I burned out from parenting, I didn't know what was happening to me. I knew nothing about that. 
Um, but clearly, it, it makes me want to, to get up every day and try to better understand this in order to help the, the parents as best as we can. So professional burnout, which is, you know, stress related to your job, has been researched for decades, and it's really well understood. It was first studied in air traffic controllers. They can burn out in a high-stress, high-stakes work environment. But Moira's research was some of the first to show that parental burnout was something different. These uh, parents feel totally exhausted by uh, parenting to the point that uh, the, even when they, they think about their children or think about what they have to do with their children, this just makes them to, to stay in bed. That exhaustion leads parents to feel differently about their children. Uh, when exhaustion gets very severe, the parent does not have any energy left for his children, so he distances himself emotionally uh, from the children. So distancing is, is the second main uh, symptom. And if you're exhausted and feeling emotionally distanced from your kids, you're not going to be enjoying the parenting experience. So there is a loss of pleasure of of parenting, but also of being with the children. And finally, if the burnout isn't addressed, you feel like a different person altogether. These parents tell us that they love to watch their children sleeping because at that moment, they can still feel the love that they have for their children. But when they're with their children uh, during the day, they cannot feel this love uh, anymore. Burnout comes in different stages from slightly toasty to this serious condition that mimics PTSD. But why? Why are parents burning out? Some cultures do put a lot of pressure on parents. It's like this in the US, in Belgium. You feel that you have to be a perfect parent, almost, uh, because the, there is a lot of state interference. Moira says it's also something that's changed in recent generations. 50 years ago, um, Fathers and mothers, they, they did pretty, pretty much what they wanted when the, the door of the house was closed. No one was watching over your shoulders. No one was telling you what you had to do, telling you that you had to give your child five fruits and five vegetables a day, that uh, you shouldn't put uh, your young child before screen and blah, blah, blah. And now there are so many recommendations in almost every aspect of your children's life. And it's not just the government and the experts that bring the pressure. We put it on each other. Each parent has an eye on his neighbors and his friends. And so there is also this fear of judgment. No one, of course, wants to be a, a, bad, a bad mom. So if, if it's your child's birthday, you have to put something extraordinary up. <laughs> and in a culture like that, to admit that you're burnt out or even that you're struggling can be hard. Currently, parents can really not fail admitting that you're tired of your children, that you're sick of parenting. Yeah, that's just not possible in such an atmosphere. And if burnout isn't addressed, the outcome can be devastating. First of all, to your health, the release of cortisol, that stress hormone that caused me so many problems, can be measured over time in your hair. Parents in burnout have twice as much cortisol as normal parents, and their level of cortisol is higher than that of uh, patients suffering from severe chronic pain, and also higher than uh, that of uh, victims of partner violence. 
This is exactly what I experienced in my own journey when I was telling you I had extreme back pain, you know, to the point that I could barely produce cortisol anymore. And as I found out, constantly running in overdrive might feel sustainable at first, but eventually it impacts your physical health and crucially, also your mental health. So we see that parental burnout increases um, suicidal ideations much more, much, much more than, uh, for instance, job burnout or even depression. And this is not surprising because, of course, you cannot resign from your parenting role and you cannot just uh, go on sick leave of your children. So parents in parental burnout, they feel totally trapped in their suffering. All of these dire consequences mean that protecting yourself from burnout is crucial. All the four kids were struggling. I was also dealing with my own mental health issues. Uh, it was a really rocky and stormy time for the family. Canada's best-selling parenting author, Anne Douglas, gives a vivid picture of what it feels like when you're in burnout. She wrote Parenting Through the Storm about her own journey caring for her four children, all of whom had a mixture of neurobehavioral issues and mental health challenges. We'll be tapping her wisdom a lot here. I was just literally, uh, you know, surviving on caffeine and alcohol and simple carbs and treading water and feeling like I was sinking. And it was just like, oh, when I look back at that time, it's funny, I was going through like all the different articles I wrote over the years. Then I'd be sending, a, like tweeting a picture to my husband saying, I have no memory of this. And he says, oh, how could it not be that way? Because it felt like we were on autopilot for a number of years. And so looking back, I can see that, uh, you know, it would have made so much sense to practice self-care and do all the right things in terms of exercising regularly and sleeping enough and all that. But at the time, I literally was just trying to keep my head afloat during a really exhausting and overwhelming time. In some ways, the experience of the pandemic, which has made us all think a lot more about our mental health, has made more people aware of the phenomenon of burnout. Admitting you can't cope, which used to be so taboo, is now more acceptable. So if we're aiming to prevent burnout and the toxic buildup of stress hormones in the body like Anne and I both experienced, I wondered, how do we do it? Where should we turn to understand the way out? I'm just looking, what's the book? I can't think of it right now. It's about completing the stress cycle. I can't think of the name of the book. Oh yeah, I've heard them speak, but I don't know the name of it. And the answer came while I was chatting with another parent, Amy Brown. I don't know if I have it over there. Um, hold on, let me see if I have it. This kind of conversation happens often when I'm comparing notes with friends who've also struggled. This book, Burnout. Have you read this? You would love this book. Okay, I'm putting Burnout... The Secret of Unlocking the Stress Cycle, and it's by Nagowski, N-A-G-O-S-K-I, Emily and Amelia Nagowski. I'm Amelia Nagowski. Uh, Emily Nagowski is my identical twin sister. If I hear about a great resource, of course I'm going to reach out. Besides being an author, Amelia is a musician, a professor, and a choral conductor. She knows burnout. Humans are evolved in order to experience stress. 
That's the good news. We're supposed to experience stress. We're adapted for it. But the trouble is we adapted to it in a very, very different environment. So when we think about that environment of evolutionary adaptiveness, like the African savanna, uh, the time when you would experience stress is in a life-threatening situation. So you see this lion coming at you and you, your body freaks out. It pours out adrenaline and cortisol and glucocorticoids. Every system in your body has changed. Your reproductive system changes because you don't need to be making a baby right now because you got to save your life. Your immune system slows down. The blood pulls away from the surface of your skin. So you're less likely to bleed to death if you get cut. You start pumping more oxygen so that you can run. All these things change in your body, every system so that you can flee, save your life. All right. We all know about the fight or flight reaction, right? But here's the next part of the story, the part that Amelia says is crucial, and the bit that in modern society, with fewer lions around, we're neglecting. So you run and you run and you run, and you reach a hut in your village, and somebody lets you in, and you hide together, and the lion gives up and walks away, and you jump up and down and hug each other, and you feel so happy to be alive, and you love your friends and family, and the sun seems to shine brighter, and that is the complete stress response cycle. You've gone from the activation of the stress to the expressing of the thing that your body is preparing to do all the way through the cycle to that sense of joy. That joy part, that's what gets left out. Unfortunately, stressors these days, the things that cause our stress are not really lions. It's taxes and trying to get your kid to put on their shoes and sitting in traffic. And none of those things can be solved with fight or flight We need parents, for example, to stay engaged with this difficult conversation rather than fleeing. Like, please don't flee from your child. We need you (laughs) to stay with them. (laughs) Even if you want to give them away to the circus, that's just, we, we, society is really grateful that you're sticking in there. Um, So that means that we have that stress response. Our bodies don't have that much flexibility in how they respond to stressful situations. Um, So your body pours out all this glucocorticoids and uh, cortisol and adrenaline, and it has nowhere to go and nothing to do. So you are stuck in the middle of the cycle while you smile and nod and try to be patient and calm. And then where do all those chemicals and electrical signals go? Nowhere. This is exactly what Moira told us that she observed about cortisol building up in the body, building up in your hair, and what I experienced when I burned out. It is really good news that we can deal with the stress separately from the thing that caused our stress. And it also means that even when we're in the middle of a stress response cycle, we can set it away to deal with it later and handle the stressful situation now knowing that it's going to be okay. I I can deal with these feelings when it's more convenient or appropriate. So that's the key. It's not about avoiding stress. I mean, that's impossible. But when you find yourself flooded with stress hormones, it's about finding an adaptive way to get rid of them safely. But it's actually not so bad because there are so many things that complete the stress response cycle. Of course, the most effective is physical activity. Is anyone surprised that physical activity is good for you? (laughs) No, we're not. This is one of the most important reasons because when you're being chased by a lion, you run. It's what your body's preparing to do. So when you let it completely go through the 
cycle it's intended to do where you run on a treadmill or you, you know, pound on an elliptical machine or you just go for a walk or you wrestle with your dogs on the carpet or you dance it out to Beyonce in your kitchen. Literally any physical activity will help to move your body in the direction of completing a stress response cycle to tell it that it's in a safe place. I was stressed during those years, but I was a consistent, I've always been a consistent exerciser every single day, whether it's walking, running, biking. Remember Amy, who recommended Amelia's book? Exercise is the solution that she chose instinctively. I was inadvertently completing the stress cycle and not realizing it. <laughs> so <laughs> I probably would have been a heck of a lot more stressed because, <laughs> because yeah. I was exercising because I wanted to be healthy. But when I started reading about the stress cycle, I thought, okay, I know exercise helped me, but this is probably why. It was just interesting that if I hadn't been an avid exerciser, how much worse could it have been for me? Not just because of sh physical shape, but emotional health. Okay, exercise. Like Amelia says, that one's not a surprise. But if that's not for you, there are other ways to complete the stress cycle. It turns out that that dream from your eighth grade bully is your imagination initiating a stress response. Or if you get sweaty palms at a first date, there's nothing life-threatening around you. That's your imagination, your worry, initiating a stress response. Uh, and that's good news because it means your imagination can also complete a stress response cycle. Cool. For me, what I did was I imagined myself as Godzilla on my elliptical machine, tromping on the State Land Grant Institution where I was getting my doctorate, that it was stressing me out so much. And I would get to the end of that workout and I'd feel, you know, thrilled to be alive and the sun shine brighter and I had that whole complete stress response thing not because my body did anything it hadn't done before but because my imagination had gone all the way through a cycle a story and you don't have to guide yourself through your imagination of reading a book that makes you feel like rah that was awesome or you get to the end of a movie and you're like yeah the victory the winners and you walk out all thrilled to be alive that feeling is your imagination guiding you all the way through a complete stress response cycle but why does this work how can you imagine yourself through a stress cycle there's no such thing as vicarious emotion if you're experiencing emotion your nervous system is experiencing emotion your brain is releasing the chemicals and electrical signals and you are physically having that emotion. So when you go through a story that inspires you and fills you with that kind of confidence and pleasure, that that's, that's real, that's happening. So exercise, imagination, what else? If you wanna take that another step further, creative self-expression, where you take the feelings and you put them outside yourself into a meal or a pair of knit booties or a book or whatever you, what you want to do to create something, that act of taking the feelings inside you and pouring them out into something in the world is another way that a lot of people already know that it feels so great to create, to make music, to dance. One of the reasons is because it's completing stress response cycles. It's been really important for me, I know everybody is different, um, but for me to paint, it's a set aside special time for me to pay attention to how I feel. This is Joanna. She was a painter before she was a mother, and she uses the technique of creative self-expression to get the stress out. A lot of times early in the journey, I didn't know how I felt. I couldn't even name it. And, and typically, if someone asked me how I was doing, I would talk about how my kids were doing. Um, 
and <laughs> and to yeah. the importance of separating ourselves from them and and marking it. Um, and for me, that is painting. It marks a separateness. No one else is in the world is making this painting or choosing this color. Joanna and her then husband adopted two girls who they knew would be high needs, but they had no idea what they'd really be getting into. Joanna said for a while she neglected her painting when the parenting was most demanding. I thought about it in my head often. Um, like I would sort of picture my paint <laughs> and my paper and, and my canvases. Um, but it, I was a little scared maybe of like what would happen if I started making work. Like I was scared of my feelings, I think. Almost like I can't fall apart. And I felt like if I opened up that box, um, that's what would happen. Um, but it's really just the opposite. <laughs> you know, um, opening that box is just really precious. She started completing those stress cycles with painting. And she says the effect was striking. I mean, I couldn't quite figure out why there was a correlation to me having this dedicated a good amount of time painting why would that have anything to do with my bettering my relationship with my children it was such a profound change that happened sometimes the thing that you need to do for them is take care of yourself and do do what you were put on this earth for So that was physical activity, imagination, yeah. creative self-expression. There are some other quite, well, I mean, seemingly easy on the surface ones, but that are not in the larger context of the world, which is like rest, specifically a good night's sleep. People say, oh, sleep on it. You'll feel better in the morning. Like, is the problem going to change in the morning? Why would you feel better in the morning? Well, it's because one of the things that happens while you sleep is your brain goes through your whole day your whole life and mm -hmm. runs through scenarios and tries again and practices and gets rid of stuff. Uh, and so we wake up in the morning, you feel better. Is that as easy as it sounds? No, because <laughs> I mean, we've lost track of the number of people, women in particular, who have told us they feel guilty for sleeping. If you're sleeping, you're using time for yourself. How dare you? <laughs> Okay, uh, it was physical activity, imagination, creative self-expression, good night's sleep. Uh, another one is a big old cry. And this is one that parents have a hard time with because you don't want to just break down in front of your kid because you want to model like how to blah, blah, yes. But sometimes you just want to lock yourself in the bathroom and have a big old cry. That is an effective strategy for completing a stress response cycle. There is a trick to it. Um, and that is to turn your attention toward the experience of crying while you are crying, just deal with the stress in your body and just notice how hot do I feel? How tense do I feel? How much snot is running down my face? Am I drooling? Am I like, what? Like you just notice it without judging it and you pay attention to it until it ends on its own. I cried so much because sometimes I'm like blaming myself, like, Am I doing it right? Did I do something wrong? Like, what is it? How can I help him? This is Liz Dolly, and she confirms raising her son, who has ADHD, involved a lot of tears. 
And she says sometimes crying with another person was just what she needed. I'm so grateful for my boss because she is like a huge support system for me. Um, And I would just call her and I'm like, I need to have like a personal conversation. Like I need to just let it out and just cry and just like I would cry. And she was so encouraging and, um, and just supportive, just listening. You know, sometimes we just need somebody to just listen to us Um, because even though it feels like the world is falling apart, just having a conversation with somebody about what you're going through and them listening to you, it really helps. And I would always feel better, like just having that good cry. Okay, so what's left? We did physical activity, imagination, creative self-expression, rest, big old cry. And I think the last one I have is laughter. The only trick to this is that it can't be like <laughs> that posed social laughter that serves as like a, a conversational lubricant that's that's necessary for interacting in the world, but it's not the kind of laughter that's going to tell your body that it's safe. It's the wild, out of control, embarrassing, mouth wide open belly laugh where you're a little out of control, that kind of laughter you cannot do if your body feels like it's under threat. So when you get in that state, your body's like, oh, I'm safe. Uh, And it moves you all the way through a stress response cycle. Um, And it also is so fun and it might be the easiest and most relaxing of all the strategies. So I was seeing a, a therapist for myself because I was just getting so burned out. And whenever I would visit her, I would go in there and some of the most stressful times of my life, I would go in there and crack jokes. Patty and Gina, the sisters we met in our first episode, say they can laugh about literally anything. And my daughter had received a a diagnosis of bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder. Um, And I remember saying, you know, bipolar disorder is just so funny. Someday I'm going to write a humor book or something. And she said, look to me and she said, and you know, you will. And I mentioned it to Gina. And then Gina used to write a humor column in a local newspaper. Gina said, do you want to, you know, should we write a book together? (laughs) That book became Shut Up About Your Perfect Kid. We thought, like people said, you're going to get criticized, you're going to get criticized. And and I remember we were in this huge cuffs for our first speaking engagement in Chicago. There was like 400 people in the room and someone oh, wow. says, I've got to raise their hand and question. I've got a problem with your book. And we're like, oh God, what? She says, why didn't you make it hardcover? Because the other day I was going to beat this woman who was bragging over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I got a lot of stress out just laughing with the shut up sisters. But then I have to remind Amelia, actually, there's one more way to complete the stress cycle. Yes, affection and connection. How could I forget those? <laughs> Your sister would be horrified. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this can happen on a lot of levels, affection and connection to other people, even just a friendly exchange with your barista. Hey, I'd like a vanilla chai latte and I like your earring. And they say, here's your vanilla chai latte. Thank you very much. Just that little interaction is enough to remind your body, the world's a safe place. The world's a safe place. Um, if you remember and notice, oh, look how my body changed just a little bit because I had that interaction. It, don't dismiss it as unimportant because it really is very valuable and it's helping you. 
Um, but going even deeper than that, if it's comfortable, um, a 20 second hug, if there's somebody in your life who you love and trust enough to hug for 20 seconds, it could be a awkwardly long time to hug someone who you do not deeply love and trust. Um, yeah. And the trick to that is you both support your own center of gravity, put your arms around each other and breathe and notice and wait until you feel the shift long enough until your body goes, all right. I'm safe, I'm home, I'm with this person, and therefore, safe. Nice. I hope this little survey of the stress cycle has given you some ideas that you can implement in your own life to get those unwanted stress hormones out of your body, fend off burnout, or heal from it if you're already there. And Amelia has this one last thought for us. Wellness isn't like an end zone you reach. People yeah. ask us all the time that, you know, they say, well, my goal is I want to experience peace. I just want to be at peace. And sadly, unfortunately, that's not what's going to happen. You're never going to be at peace and stay there. You're going to cycle into effort and back to rest and into stress and through the complete stress response cycle into a state of safety. Uh, so wellness instead of being a state of being or a state of mind is a state of action it's the freedom to oscillate through all of the cycles of being human i i wish that this um podcast had visual because just watching you i can tell that you conduct i love seeing your your body language your gestures your motion if people who are listening could see amelia she really has a great body language <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a thing. Stuff comes out of my hands when I should be sitting still. <laughs> Coming up on a little easier, we'll take a deep dive into the nervous system and find out how understanding emotions can help us access more patience and compassion for ourselves and our kids. Again, it activates that prefrontal cortex, which doesn't shut off the emotional response, but it quiets the emotional response so it's not quite so flooding. And curiosity, like that's why, like when we lean into emotions when they're not too much, it can actually be so helpful and so healing. Brain science, next time on A Little Easier. We've given you lots of micro-action moments this time as we've learned about all these ways to complete the stress cycle. Here's one more from one of my favorite psychiatrists and neuroscientists, Dr. Bruce Perry. Just take a walk. It's amazing how powerful a walk is and how regulating and how much better the world will feel and you will feel if you simply go take your kids, take, take a walk in the park. Now, if you can, I know it's hard for a lot of parents, but if you can take a walk by yourself and have a little bit of solitude, a little bit of reflective time in a beautiful place, if there's any pretty place near where you are, you're, and even for 10 minutes, you're going to feel completely different. I'm Kendra Wild. And this has been A Little Easier. 
the show that was created to help you find more joy and resilience when parenting is extra challenging. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure you're subscribed to A Little Easier in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Share it with family and friends. We're an independent show focused on elevating parents because you're the most important force behind your child's well-being. Visit alittleeasier.org for show notes and discussion questions, plus resources on parental burnout and resilience building. A Little Easier is written by Harriet Jones and co-produced by Harriet and Ray Kantrowitz. Sound design and original music by Ray. This podcast is brought to you by Wild Peace for Parents and me, Kendra Wild.